Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Begin by Soho CRM. So let's face it, you don't have to use spreadsheets, notepads, reminders, and 10 other apps to manage your customer information like you may be doing today. Whether you're a startup, a small business, or a freelancer, did you know that you can manage your business as effectively as any large corporation? With the current market, it's more critical than ever to retain existing customers while also staying on top of your sales pipeline. And you can do this with your business today by saying no to spreadsheets. Begin supercharges your workflow and helps you engage prospects, manage pipelines, and close deals without skipping a single beat. It has a super simple drag and drop interface, which will have you up and running in under 30 minutes. All listeners of our podcast can get up to 15 days for free, the free trial, along with a 50% off and up to $100 when you sign up. Just go to Soho.to forward slash begin Pantera Advisor and get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So, today I'm very excited with a guest that we have joining us, joining us from Jakarta. So, I think that we're going to be, you know, learning quite a bit, you know, from finding your passion, from, you know, being too scared of starting and maybe like doing the entrepreneurship route before the entrepreneurship route. So, you name it. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Dara Permata. Welcome to the show. Pleasure is mine, Alejandro. Thanks for having me. So originally born and raised in Jakarta, you know, in a family of three siblings. So tell us a little of a, give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Uh, well, thank you. So yes, born and raised here in Indonesia, uh, the eldest of three siblings, family values at heart. Um, equality, responsibility, intellectual curiosity. Uh, my parents are pretty much egalitarian parents who believes in true equality. Um, so I remember growing up, I was very boyish. I have two younger brothers and we were very boyish. We share same toys, uh, even same apparel, same clothings, right? Um, and what's interesting also what I remember from growing up is I always wanted my own space, so my own bed, my own toilet, my own room. And when I was old enough to live on my own, I started living, um, you know, in a co-living space, nine meters square. Very common, you know, if you're a young Indonesians, what you do is the minute you graduate from high school and maybe your campus is a bit far away, you would live in this like co-living setup with your roommates. And so I had that, yeah. And then when I graduated from college and started working having my own uh, money my f the first thing that i did was to buy my own property and what, what was uh, buying your own property like painful extremely painful by the way it wasn't like luxury property it was you know some ten thousand dollar land plot somewhere outside town second tier city and i thought of building something maybe far down uh, in the in the future and that's still a landfill till today. <laughs> that was extremely painful because, you know, I think similar to emerging market situation anywhere around the globe, property transactions probably one of the most traditional transaction there is. Uh, everything is very 
uh, basically pen and paper agents are very traditional. They're not the most professional. Uh, actually, it's actually very, very informal. So it, there's no re- license requirement to be an agent. So agent, most agents don't have the property knowledge. They're not exactly like uh, you know, professional agents like in the States, right? So very, very different uh, than uh, what it is, uh, the experience of buying properties in more developed market like uh, United States or in Europe. I had to probably visit the 20, 30 properties to look for, uh, to, to get one that I really like that, that fit my criteria. Uh, it's, it's really, really common here. And obviously, if they say ideas, you know, they're like doorman. They take time to incubate. And I will talk about, you know, what you're up to, you know, in just a little bit. But one thing that really, you know, perhaps provided some color or some perspective was becoming an exchange student in the U.S. I mean, obviously, different culture, different everything, you know, the American dream, you know, the go-getter, you know, in terms of uh, entrepreneurship. So what, what would you say that that experience gave you in terms of, you know, forming you and forming your view about the world? That was really life-changing for me. Imagine a 16-year-old um, and all my life, my understanding of values, norms, and what, you know, the definition of dream. It's all based on my uh, Indonesian experience. So when I was exposed to living in, in the States, right, it was it was very eye-opening. Uh, culturally, it was very different. Indonesian is very conservative. Indonesian parents uh, are also very conservative. We're taught to be like good employee, uh, you know, good kid, good employee growing up, just uh, be loyal to one company and, you know, have a stable life. And then in, in, in the States, you even early age, you're taught to explore, to be adventurous, to have that the American dream to be whatever you want to be. Uh, the world is an open, kind of, you know, it is an open ended like opportunities. It's endless and very, sometimes very aggressive, very optimistic view of a lot of different things. Uh, so I, I learned about that and I also learned to uh, speak up and all these basic things, you know, how to communicate with parents, how you always have to have an opinion about something. I, I didn't have that before, before my exchange student experience. I was just, you know, it, I was, I, I like being told, I, I like being yeah, told what to do and just run like a very simple, uh, stable, risk-free life. But then I learned complete opposite in the States and I really like that. I really enjoy that. And I think the, the merging of these two different cultures, I think, shaped me to be who I am today. And talking about the merging or, of two things. So you studied a mix of business and engineering. You know, I think like, you know, as they say, the, the, the most incredible entrepreneurs are the ones that are able to really jump from the technical side to the business side. And when you're able to blend both, you become very dangerous in a positive way. What has been your experience about blending both of these things? Right. I, growing up, I always liked technology, technical problem-solving, engineering. So I learned to love the technology first before thinking about the problem. But then I was exposed to business, although it, it was a minor that I took, you know, 24 credits. But it gave me different perspective. It, it taught me about thinking about opportunities first the pain points first, problems first, and then move backward to the technology that can solve that pain point. So complete opposite of, you know, like it's a complete 
completely different school of thought, completely different process. But I think that's the right process. It's not about like thinking about, okay, this cool technology, how can we use it? How can we implement it? But it's really starting from the problem and move backwards from that problem and think about what technology would enable solution for this problem. I did think that, uh, and it's because of the uh, business background, business exposure. I did four internships during my college year, and that really helped align my understanding of, you know, what opportunities could mean. How do we build business? How do we solve business problems? Uh, really helped me to uh, be more prepared as I enter the workforce. Uh, that, that was quite interesting. So then you go into, as, as we're talking about problems, you go into Telcos, but then after Telcos for a few years, you go to McKinsey where you were for four years. Now, some of the best entrepreneurs that I find too is people that have done consulting. And I find that consulting, you know, gives you access to understanding how you grab a big problem, how you break it into small little problems, and then how you start tackling one after the other. Was that your experience too? Absolutely. Um, and uh, of course, those are all just framework unless you really execute it, right? Like um, hit the ground and stress test those frameworks. But really, I think consulting equipped me with the ability to think in a way that's structured, organized. Um, first day in consultancy, I was at McKinsey for about four years as senior business consultant. My first day, uh, the very first framework that we were taught was DSPA, which is, it is about kind of uh, defining problem, structuring the solution, prioritizing solution, creating action plans. And if I, I can tell you my four years is all about that for 30 different clients. It's about defining the problem you wanted to solve, why that, and also understanding why that matters. And then basically structuring the solution uh, because problem, you can break it down to smaller pieces. And when it is broken down to smaller pieces, it becomes kind of more manageable, right? Instead of like looking at it as a big, hairy problem that is completely untangled. Now, if you tangle it, then you, it, it, it is becoming now like maybe a set of like 10, 10 smaller problems. And if you tackle that one by one, if you do that exhaustively, then you solve the big problem, right? Um, instruction solutions around it and then prioritizing solution. And that's what a lot of people missed is, you know, you have these 10 things, so 10 problems, 10 solutions, but then you do it all at once. You don't understand the concept of Pareto, which is focusing on the 20% thing that drives 80% of the output or impact. So learn about that. Um, you know, I would say 10 different sectors, 35 different clients, four years. And, you know, spending every week, probably easily 90 to 100 hours a week. But that really equipped me to uh, jump into technology, which is extremely fast-paced. Uh, a lot of, you know, of course, also uh, very multi-dimensional, multi especially the startup I was uh, uh, working in when I joined in 2015 was Goja, and it had 40 different services. I, I kid you not, it was like 40 different, I would say, B2C consumer-facing products. Um, and it was also, I, I would say, cross-sectoral. We had products in uh, transportation, mobility. We had also products in food delivery, uh, even grocery delivery, retail, uh, logistic, home services. And so it really equipped me to, to be uh, entrepreneurs in, in technology sector. To be ready for the venture world then. And that's yes. what I wanted to ask you because... You know, before you even go, I mean, Gojek, you know, one of the largest ventures in Indonesia, 
I mean, incredible uh, ride for you being one of the early employees there, one of the uh, management team members. But what, what, one of the things that this gave you access was to taste entrepreneurship without having to take the risk, because I understand that you're a risk-averse person. So how, how do you, I mean, I guess there's probably a lot of people that are listening that are maybe like right now, you know, in their nine to five, you know, job, thinking about how to make it happen, how to venture into the entrepreneurial world. So how was that intrapreneurship experience, you know, and how do you think that allowed you to be at a point where you realized, okay, I think I, I got this. I think it's my time to start my own thing. Right. Yeah, I think I, I really love this question because uh, all the times I I I got questioned, you know, how are you so risk-taking? And my immediate answer typically is I am not at all a risk-taking. You know, I, I, I was, all my life, I was risk uh, a risk-averse individual. But the way I cope with so much risk in entrepreneurship was through, um, of course, like risk mitigation, understanding what are the risks and just mitigate them. Um, and the the best academy for me to learn about identifying risks, mitigating those risks in context of venture building was was Gojek, was being part of this. When I joined 2015, so uh, a bit of a, a context how I transitioned into uh, uh Technology sector was because uh, I was uh, I was in still consultancy. I I love being in consultancy, um, but then I got pulled in to join Gojek, which then was a series A series A uh, technology startup. Uh, Nadim Makarim uh, was the ex CEO founder of Gojek, also was an alum of McKinsey, and so we got I got to know him from alumni network, and he pulled me in to join Gojek. Right after its Series A, I was early 15 management team, and then my my five years there. So I, I spent five five years in Gojek. My my five years there was were basically spent on doing two things. One is uh, helping Gojek to to expand uh, from limited city operations to 100 plus city operations, building a thousand five hundred people team in the process, and just making the services available nationwide. Uh, so that was about two years that I spent there, but the three years was actually about venture building within a venture. So building this portfolio called lifestyle home service uh, and commerce product group within which we have product like grocery delivery, uh, we have home services, we have uh, C2C logistics service. So it it was a, a, a unicorn within a decacorn. When I started, I was the only team member for that product group. I had to hire my own team. I had to fight for my own budget. And together with my CTO co-founder, and we then together had to uh, create our uh, vision, cascading it down from kind of Gojek big vision and mission. But then we we have to have our vertical vision and mission. Um, and that's essentially entrepreneurship, right? Entrepreneurship is about identifying opportunities um, and then being able to seize and capture that opportunities. Uh, and when we, in, in context of venture building, is about building that vision and mission, cascading it to uh, product uh, definition, product milestones. Um, and then you have the five P's of venture building. And I learned that at Gojek 15 times because we launched 15 different product lines from grown up, right, from scratch. And that five P's are basically one, the first P is about purpose. You need to understand the purpose. Um, what's why? Why do you why do you care about this? 
why, why, why does it matter? And so understanding the purpose, then you start thinking about the people who can have that aligned vision and mission with you, uh, trying to achieve that purpose. And it's about hiring, uh, attracting, recruiting, retaining, developing the right talents that can help you build the third P, which is product. And the product is all about building this seamless uh, seamless product. And because of, we refer to digital product and that th- digital product where you have seamless user journey from when customer um, first interface with, uh, with, with your app or with your website or whatever that might be. And all the way until they exit and then hopefully they repeat and come back to you. Uh, and then the, f- the fourth and the fifth P is about process and, 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 and uh, performance. So process is about, you know, you have product, but then as a business, you cannot just completely rely on your product, the internal processes that has to be as efficient as, and as streamlined. And over time, hopefully it can be automated and digitized. So it's not enough that you have amazing product interfacing consumer, but inside your Inside your organization, everything is very messy. It's bureaucratic. It process process don't exist, and sometimes it's like redundant. So you don't you don't want that. So you you need to have good front facing and as well as also the back office um, internally facing process. And then lastly, performance is about setting. We all know this, you know, KPI, OKR, whatnot, right? Like setting the right organizational goal and then cascade it down to functional, unit, individual, and eventually just being able to track those and reward top performers and, of course, you know, I think develop uh, under uh, under performance to make sure that they uh, they can help you achieve uh, the objective. Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As a founder, you need to always be in problem-solving mode and really being faced with challenging situations, whether it's with life or with the business itself, you need to find a way to find the the better solution, the solutions that are going to help you to really overcome that roadblock. And a therapist, a therapist like, for example, the ones that BetterHelp matches you with could be a good option for you. And I mean, I remember, for example, for myself with relationships, with experiences, I've used therapy in the past and it really helped with unloading depression, anxiety. So BetterHelp is a really good solution. You could try it because it's convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, and it's entirely online where you can get matched with a therapist that could be the right fit for you. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DealMakers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash DealMakers. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, 
or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So then let's talk about Pinhome. At what point does the idea of Pinhome, while you're working at Gojek, at, at what point Pinhome comes to mind? Obviously, you met your, your co-founder there. Uh, but at what point do you guys realize, hey, I think, I think we got to do something about this one? Yes, love this question. So when did I know that I had to transition out? My co-founder and I, uh, my CTO co-founder and I, then was the CTO for the same product group I was responsible for at Gojek. Um, we had been working together for about three years inside Gojek when we decided to step out. And six months prior to us stepping out, it was us having conversation of whether, you know, it's a good time to start planning um, build building our own venture um and we uh we agreed on a on criteria when we know it's a perfect time for us to, to start um and first is that we know we hit that ceiling in this organization it's you know when you when you couldn't grow more um as professional or couldn't pursue your aspirations within the organization so that's one second criteria is that when we have already line of successors that can be successful um leading the business without without our presence um and and so we saw that those two criteria at the end of 2019 we both had always wanted to be a full-fledged entrepreneur it wasn't an if for us it was a when and and the when uh, we saw that was the perfect timing for us for us to transition out uh, gojik was transitioning also from founder-led business to to, to CEO that business when Nadim, the, the, the CEO and founder, stepped out because uh, he was appointed to be minister uh, in the uh, President Jokowi uh, cabinet uh, that was in end of 2019. Uh, we had great successor and uh, we, we saw ourselves as kind of the, uh, the leaders that create Delta but was not as transformational anymore because anyway, the team was even far more capable than we ever were. And so we, yes, we stepped out into this 2019 and um, to build in home in 2020, launch it exactly in January at the gate of COVID. And that was quite interesting. Kind of, uh, you know, incepting and building business all exclusively in pandemic, right? From Alpha, Beta, Delta, Omicron, and now Tech Winter and what next inflation? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's been a, a roller coaster journey. So for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Pinhome? How do you guys make money? Right. Um, so we are a next generation transaction platform for property. To put it simply, we are a an e-commerce for property transaction. Think of an e-commerce. It is a business where you enable discovery of a commodity all the way to delivering the ownership for that commodity. We see e-commerce in fast-moving consumer goods segment. We believe that in the near future, um, years from now, people will be comfortable comfortable transacting properties uh, through digital platform. So 
from discovery all the way to delivery of ownership of property on the same platform. Sure, there will be some interactions that happen offline. So home viewing, home touring can or should should still happen offline. And there's like title signing, mandated bylaw. You have to do wet sign with public notary. Those can still can still happen offline, but everything else should just take place online. And the 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 goal is for us to be the platform that allows for that online to offline, back to online, and ended offline transition seamless. Now, how do we make money? We have we monetize through two ways. One is transaction based revenue, that is uh, making money through commission of successful brokerage transaction, mortgage transaction and home service transaction. And then we also have the financing-based revenue where we generate revenue from real estate supply chain financing. Just like any financing platforms, we generate revenue from net interest rate between uh, interest rate we give to borrowers versus the cost of capital. Uh, yes, we are at intersection of PropTech and FinTech. We're not 100% PropTech company. We are 50% PropTech, 50% FinTech, and that makes our business robust. And then let me ask you this. In terms of capital, how much capital have you guys raised today? We have raised um, a total of, I would say, north of $75 million on equity capital since inception. We also have about $35 million debt facility. So uh, combined, it's $110 million uh, capital that we've raised to date. And and how does that work? Like having equity on one end and debt on the other. Why why do you need those two? Fundraising equity for startup or technology venture. That's very common. Yes. Day one, pre-revenue, pre-product. We raise our equity capital. And now we've gone through uh, three stage of equity fundraising. Uh, but in the it, throughout that process, uh, throughout the, the business development, we've also uncovered opportunities basically to raise non-dilutive capital in the form of debt. And we ha- we highly recommend, highly suggest entrepreneurs that have the ability to raise debt to actually leverage on this uh, capability. It is, a, it is a capability, meaning that not all businesses can raise debt. You need to prove that you have ROI classic, uh, you know, positive unit economics, type of revenue lines or business for you to be able to raise debt financing. And for us, definitely the fact that we have real estate supply chain financing uh, where we could lend basically money to real estate stakeholders like property agents, property agencies, uh, property uh, other property service providers, property developers. Um, and looking at our loan book where you know, we have proven that we have, when we lend money, we have very healthy, not uh, non-performing loan. So less than 0.5%, 0.4% non-performing loan. This basically enables, uh, enables us basically to raise a capital that's non-dilutive uh, in the form of that so that we could scale the business further. Um, and, you know, I was new to this last year, we, we raised our we we started the process last year and and earlier this year and we 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 get our first debt facility um and i think it's extremely liberating to have diversified source of capital if you're if you are entrepreneurs especially in a difficult uh, time like this for fundraising we we know we 
know, this is the period we call tech winter where valuation of tech companies get compressed. Um, private or public, the same, especially if you are a, a late stage growth stage companies. And then raising capital through equity can be very expensive, very dilutive. So having that access to that financing is very powerful. And obviously, in this case, you raised the money from a lot of U.S. Uh, investors. So how, how were you able to make that you know, possible being so far away from the U.S.? It was actually for us, for us also, it was it was very uh, shocking. Um, it was a shocking that, you know, we didn't meet with at Series A, we didn't meet any of the investors that invested in being home at series a and at series b we also did that fully virtually uh, so we've raised 70 plus million dollar of equity capital exclusively through uh you know virtual pitches right um i mean if you told me this in 2019 that we could raise capital virtually i would call you crazy like that's not possible right that that's impossible can't even imagine the idea but I guess pandemic, uh, you know, enforced that and, it, uh, you know, made that happen. Um, and talking about fundraising, uh, it is, you know, I love your, I love your book, Alejandro, uh, the, the, the Art of uh, Startup Fundraising. And I, 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 I think fundraising is an, it's art of modern, modern science, right? Because uh, for equity investors, when they look at the business, business like Pin Home, for example, we get our we got our first check pre-revenue product. There wasn't even product to showcase. It was fully about you know, trust towards the founder, trust towards the opportunities, uh, uh, and and convictions over the regions and the sector, um, and and that's all like very emotional, right? Emotionally driven, vision driven, instead of like, you know, um, commercially driven. Um, or okay, I I I see the metrics now. I know you're performing. I'm gonna uh, inject capital. It, it wasn't like that in the early days, and even in the subsequent rounds of financing, it was also about like what narratives are we building, uh, and so how did we manage kind of to raise capital? You know, almost exclusively all virtually. Number one is, uh, of course, we need to know the industry, the sector, the region in and out. Right, um, we need to not just like through ideation come up with ideas, but validate that idea, stress test it, uh, prove that there's uh, there's um, you know monetization opportunity uh, and profitability opportunity for for it to be to be profitable. And we've proven that day one. We've proven that day one we could uh, start a business that was unit economic positive, and it's just that it 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 takes some volume but it was completely attainable volume for us to be profitable and we have a timeline to be profitable so day one we 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 had built strong robust and sound narrative about how we could build a monetizable and profitable business and the second thing is then knowing the archetype or criteria of the VC that we would love to work with and who would appreciate our business so you could try to build to boil the ocean basically like pitch to a hundred different VCs untargeted and and probably you would run out of energy, money and resources by the time you get to your first investment. But 
we were very targeted. So we knew exactly the architect we wanted to work with. One is strong domain in PropTech and FinTech. These are the people that will appreciate what we're building in PropTech and FinTech. Second is that we also want to see a good balance between kind of local VCs, regional VCs, and global VCs. Because global VCs without presence in um, in Southeast Asia, they'll be very worried to see that they're the only one in the cap table and there's really no local coverage from like local or regional VC. Um, so when we first raised our check, we raised it from regional guys and local guys. And then when we go to the global guys at Series A or Series B, we say that, hey, we have strong supporters locally, regionally. These are the guys who understand the region in and out, the sector in and out, and they trusted us. And so that really helps to build confidence and condition from the global guys, right? And at the end of that, we have good balance between local, regional, and global expertise. Um, And then also you have to filter for those guys who are very strongly convicted uh, about the opportunity and about the region. Make sure that they are committed in uh, to, to invest in the region. And they're not here to kind of spread and pray. Um, and lastly, lifecycle investor. It will be great to have investor that can participate, not just in one round, but throughout multiple rounds. That sends a very strong signal for future investors. This guy stay. This must be a good business. This guy double down or doing super pro rata. Super pro rata means like, exercising their pro rata rights, even higher than pro rata when there's opportunity, then the future investor would say like, this must be a really good business. This guy stick throughout stages of fundraising. So yes, and and so that's that's understanding the archetype of investor you want to work, work with and the ones that can appreciate your business. And it's it's equally important for you to also filter them, not just like them filtering you, I think. Um, and, and lastly, it's about, um, you know, pitch succinctly about the opportunities, how you're going to capture it through metrics. Uh, you need to understand the, the top metrics that matter. Ensure you have to ask the, the VCs as well, like in your interactions with them, what metrics do you look at? How how can we qualify? Um, and don't don't be afraid to ask those questions. And immediately, they'll, some of them will say like something that's a bit more vague. But some can be very uh, up, uh, straightforward and say like, okay, we want to see, a, uh, you know, uh, annualized revenue more than 5 million. So then you know, okay, we're too early or actually we're, you know, probably uh, a bit a bit too late for them. So so, so know, know the metrics that matter. So, and that's fantastic, Dara. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people that are listening that are about to venture out into the crazy thing of fundraising, you know, they're really going to, you know, appreciate and, and, and really got some really good insights there. So, I guess, you know, to get a better understanding of the scope and size of Pinhome, I mean, anything that you feel comfortable sharing in terms of maybe number of employees or anything else? Absolutely. So we have about 425 employees. We operate in 80 cities in Indonesia. We, our, our team are spread across perhaps 10, 15 cities. We are in the ballpark revenue of, I would say, north of $35 million in revenue. In Southeast Asia, we're definitely the largest uh, property uh, platform uh, by any definition. And um, in terms of, uh, well, I think spend coverage um, in PropTech, it's common that you measure by number of listings on the supply side, number of property seekers on the demand side. Uh, so we have about 700,000 uh, listings on our platform and we serve every month over 5 million unique property seekers looking for properties. Got it. Now, 
imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight, Darren, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Pinhome is fully realized. What does that world look like? It might be crazy, but in if we're successful, maybe in five, maybe 10 years from now, it's the future where someone who's looking for property, the first thing they do is they open Pinhome and they would uh, inquire about property. Weeks time, they negotiate on that property through our platform. Ready to make payment, they execute on those staggered payments, you know, booking fee, uh, deposit, whatnot, uh, down payment fee, and even full payment all transacted through Pinhome. Um, and that is the true definition of building e-commerce for property transactions, where discovery all the way to delivery of ownership of property as a commodity is done all digitally. And I hope that we're not too far from that future. That future looks beautiful. Vera, so uh, so let me ask you this. If I was to put you into a time machine and bring you back in time, perhaps to that moment where you were at Gojek, you were thinking about maybe like doing something and, you know, maybe you didn't have like infinite clarity, but imagine you were able to sit down that younger Dara and give that younger Dara one piece of business advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Be brave. And I have this, uh, I would say, uh, mental model called brave. And I I keep telling myself now, I wish I could tell my, my younger self, um, maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, you know, that the first is be, believe in yourself, whether you believe you can or you cannot, you're always right. So why, why not believe that you can? So R is about uh, rational distance. So attaining rational distance before you're doing something, making sure you're rational, not emotional. You can be passionate about something, but, but make sure when you make decision, just not purely fired by passion. There's some analytical uh, approach also to your decision. Um, a is about, you know, accepting that um, you can make mistakes and, and, and C is viewing that failure or mistake as cost of learning, investment instead of the end of things the end the end of um uh, you know your business or uh, your effort and e is about expanding possibility believe that you can do you know you can be successful in life and in career in your entrepreneurship at the same time with your family if you can you know balance uh, your priorities doing the right thing at the right time Amazing. Well, Dara, that's very powerful. So for the people that are listening that would like to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to, to do so? I'm active on LinkedIn. You, you can drop me a message, um, Dayudara Permata. You can also go to my Instagram, Dayudara, how my name is spelled, uh, and then an email, uh, Dayudara at pinhome.id. Amazing. Well, Dara, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. It's an, it's an honor and pleasure to be here. Alejandro, thanks so much for thinking about me and pulling me here. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, 
share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.